Welcome to part two of this special episode of Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And all right, guys, we're going to get ready to jump back into the movie here. Um, You know, hopefully you guys are ready for this and uh, you've already listened to part one. And this was going to be, you know, available right up to it. So you can hopefully, you know, transition into it right into the uh, second half of the movie uh, with no issue. And we're going to go ahead and get ready to start it up again. We're at the uh, 50 minute and 15 second mark. Go ahead and count down like I did before in three, two, one, play. All right. So like where we left off, we got Brenda kind of getting ready to call it a night. She's, you know, in the same area that Marcy was just killed in, but no idea that anything's wrong. Um, the killer has been really smart. She's offed. They've offed. Sorry, maybe a mild spoiler. Um, they offed uh, Ned by himself, Jack by himself, and Marcy by himself. So no one knows anything's wrong anywhere. Although there's something that's kind of, you know, itching at the back of, of Brenda's skull here. She's, and again, like the subtleness of this is fantastic. Uh, you know, just slightly the hand, like just the, the tips of the fingers coming around the curtain and dragging the curtain back a little bit. Not enough to reveal who it is, but just, just enough to, you know, let us know that the killer's still there. Who knows? This could have been just shortly after Marcy was murdered. And, uh, you know, Brenda's been hearing some rustling and, and not sure something's going on, but it's not quite enough to uh, get her to investigate fully. As we see, she's getting ready to pack up and head back on out. She's got her hood back up and, you know, just like, eh, oh well. Again, these characters don't necessarily make stupid decisions. You know, in, in, in a normal horror film, you'd have the person probably go and investigate that. And it, but the killer being right there would have just met their untimely fate right then. And somehow Steve in a Jeep gets stuck. And uh, I, 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 you know, I don't know if it's that his car just stopped working. It looks like he's kind of run off the road a little bit but he can't even get his car to start and local police are you know fortunately there to help him out a little bit um but yeah i don't i don't understand exactly why the jeep stops working it, it doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense uh, i guess it maybe it's stalled out um but i yeah apparently something with the tra- having it with the trailer just uh you know caused it to have some issues that it apparently just won't even start up but oh well and you know this the interaction with him and the cop is really really interesting too uh, I, I i always like that scene when it gets there but again you know we got our pov shot killer's kind of looking outside brenda's cabin and you know she's being innocent not doing anything you know like the like the normal rules like you know smoking drinking having premarital sex all that stuff the kind of rules that are developed later in in the franchise aren't really at play here in this movie i mean these are all good people good characters yeah they they smoke a little weed at some point they do have some beer but they're they're college age like I'm assuming the the drinking they're of age now. Granted, the the drug side of it's illegal or legal at the time, and now depending on what state you live in, but uh, yeah, I mean, she's just getting ready to go to bed, normal, good person, not doing anything, not harming anybody, just wants to read her book a little bit and uh, enjoy her time. You know, these aren't bad people. You know, you'd like to like to think like there'd be at least some characteristics that you wouldn't like about them. So you'd be like, yes, that person died. Now we do have some horror films out there that are like that. And you kind of cheer on when the, the jerk character kind of gets it or the guy that's cheating on his girlfriend with, with like the slut character. Um, you know, he gets it. Uh, but 
this isn't this movie isn't really filled with them and i think that's what helps make it stand apart i think it's what like makes something like halloween the characters in halloween stand apart from other horror films or lesser horror films or even horror films that are made today i mean here you know brenda's hearing somebody some girl like a kid crying for help and you know she's trying to do the right thing like if this is someone that's in danger someone that needs help like i need to get out there and i need to help them much like with with the ned fake drowning scene like they're they're all smart they're all just trying to to do the right thing and help each other out and it just so happens that you know this doesn't pan out the way it should be now she's going out there she doesn't even have her slicker on she's out in her, her nightgown and got the flashlight and she's trying to track down the voice and as far as she knows this is a child in danger i mean we'd all like to think that we'd be able to go out and help somebody that's in danger and i think that's just a credit to the writing on this um, by victor miller like he he knew characters he knew characterization uh and, and and again the portrayal by the actors like not to not to even give them any disservice like they do such a wonderful job of of really bringing these characters to life and i know i've said it multiple times now but making them three-dimensional making them feel real making them feel like this is a person i know in my life that i'm close with or i would expect them to do this uh and and when the inevitable fate they reach it, it makes that more tragic and i think that's what helps make an effective horror film if you don't have those anchor points if you don't have those characteristics or characters that you can attach yourself to and feel a moment of loss for it's like it's not effective i mean what what a shock is this she's she's out the archery fields and all of a sudden the lights are on so what is she going to assume now like is this a kid that's playing a joke is it ned is it jack and marcy you know the, and then terror starts to feel really real to her and and the placement here kind of right next to the the target the arrow target um it's you realize it's almost a moment of foreshadowing and then you don't even see what happens you just get the the off-camera kill and the scream and we don't really know what the fate is of brenda at this point we don't even know if she, if she is killed at this point um sorry my cat decided he wanted to kind of join and and mess around and my hand hit his face um you know, and then you got, of course, Alice. Uh, looks like by your lonesome right now. I don't know. I guess Bill is out, uh, out of the picture right now. I know he's back in it later, but I can't remember if he comes running in from the rain at this point or not. I'd have to assume so. Yeah. Yeah, he's been out in the rain. So again, we got that red herring. Like, where's where's Bill at? You know, apparently he's checking on the generator, but um, we know that uh, you know Brent, something just happened to Brenda, and we just we don't know. You know, we don't know. We we know enough about the characters, but do we know enough about Bill to, to kind of discount him as the killer? It's it's really kind of the effectiveness of the storytelling. They they plant those seeds there to make you kind of wonder, and you know here they go on their search. Is is Alex Alex Alice Bill's potential next villain, uh, victim? If he's the killer, I mean, do we we've got to start being suspicious? And yet at the same time is is there actually something going on here and bill is just as confused as alice is because well, you know why is there an axe here on brenda's pillow and and not just an axe but an axe that has blood on it is this the same axe that went into marcy's face you know it if bill's the killer did he place it there to kind of mess with her um who knows at this point like we we don't know exactly what's going on but they're um you know trying to find out is this a prank 
they've gone you know to where Jack and Ned are supposed to have their uh, be sleeping or, or staying and they're not there you know they're going now to check to see if Brenda's uh, you know here in the, in the in the restroom and see maybe if if Jack and Ned are there like the mystery is there it's great now now the characters are becoming aware of like this is this is what makes it effective. Like with with doing the one by one. Now there's enough people missing that the the, the characters left are going. Okay, there's something that's not quite right here. They could be playing a joke. We don't know. We have no real evidence that something's really out of play here. But something's not right. We're uncomfortable with this situation. If we were to see them come come out of the blue or out you know the next cabin or something. We can be okay. We, we would be comfortable. But now as time's kind of progressing, they're getting a little bit desperate. I mean, heck, she just breaks the window to get into the office because it's locked to try... Uh, I believe they're trying to look for the phone. Um, you know, it's... It's... Yeah, yeah. The, the phone's dead. Um... these characters are now really starting to get worried and of course we're entering into the final final bit of the movie here but uh of course not do they not are aware that the wires are cut and now also the car is not being able to start so things are really starting to uh you know really not add up for them and they're really starting to get concerned with um with what's going on they have no signs of their friends uh you know every available option for them to try to get help is seems to be not available the truck's not working it's 10 miles away from town steve might be back any second so if they can wait to that you know and bill's trying to be really reassuring and he you know he's like don't worry steve will be back we we we'll be laughing about this tomorrow and you kind of wish that that's how things would turn out now here's here's the the scene i was mentioning earlier between steve and, and the officer you know it's friday the 13th it's full moon all these you know all these crazy things really happen when there's a full moon and uh yeah it's 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 kind of an interesting conversation especially considering how uh you know the events of the film play out and uh you know you got steve going you know i'm not gonna buy into all this superstition crap you know uh you guys can say whatever you want but you're you're like you said you're making a science out of coincidence you know it's just it's just life like there you know you're it just so happens that these more accidents, these more murders, these more rapes all happen on a full moon, especially on a Friday the 13th. Now, they're just events that just happen to happen on those times. You know, it's probably no different than, than just events that all happen out in the real world. And, of course, now Steve's in a situation much like Annie where he's got to hike back the rest of the way as the officer is called away to an accident. Um, like, at least at least it had stopped raining by that point, you know? That would have been awful. And, you know, that camp had only been around, as you see in the sign, it was established in 1935. It had only been around 20, 21, 22 years when, you know, the boy drowned. And then it closed after the next year when, when you had the murders of the two counselors from the very beginning of the film. And this is a great moment, too. You know, you have this really cool moment where, like, you have the flashlight. So when you're seeing the sign of the, uh, the light of the flashlight, it obscures the killer. But it's obviously someone who Steve knows. Enough to lure him in close and then go in for the kill. And catch him completely off guard. So now, not only are, is Ned dead, Jack's dead, Marcy's dead, Brenda's fate we're not 100% about. Steve's gone, and it's just Bill and Alice. And so, 
now the power goes out. Bill had just checked on the generator. Everything was working fine. And now, now we really start seeing Alice start to fray a little bit. Um, you know, Bill, Bill's been trying to be as good and as strong as he can be for her uh, to kind of help keep her calm. But it's, it's finally gotten to that point where there, there's major concern. Um, Alice wants answers. Uh, and she's not really willing to kind of let things get shrugged off anymore. Sorry for the crinkling noise. The cat's being a little bit of a jerk with a bag of potato chips, and I'm trying to kind of keep him away from it. But he wants to keep on messing. Isn't that right, Watson? But yeah, you know, she's trying to figure out, she wants to know why the power's kind of gone out. Bill's, you know, doing the reasonable thing, going, yeah, the generator probably, uh, you know, ran out of gas or something. Don't worry. Go to sleep. I'll be back. Um, you know, just trying to comfort and console her. Like, she, you know, he doesn't want her to be worried, doesn't want her to be concerned. Uh, you know, he, like, I, I really do like to think that he really had, you know, had it for her and she had it for him, and he's trying to, you know, kind of be a protector you know this is someone he cares about has feelings for and he doesn't want to see her panic or see her concern and so he's going to do everything in his power to you know console her and like i said protect oh my gosh darn cat what am I going to do with you? Huh? See, and this is always a scene. I, I, It's not really that meaningful, but it's, it's really interesting as well. Because he's always doing is just checking on the generator. And, um... And this is kind of the last little bit of him that you're going to see. Uh, you know, there's not... He's, you know, doing the dipstick just to check to see how much fuel's in there. And, um, you know, trying to see if there's anything wrong. And he's going to try to give her another startup. Although, now that I realize it, I don't think I've realized this in the past... This is kind of the POV, actually, behind Bill. Well, no, it's not. Sorry, I lied to you. It was a fake-out. Uh, you know, they wanted you to think that the POV was, was focusing up on the, the behind of Bill. But this is it, you know. That's the last thing you're going to see of Bill for a bit. And... Um, you know, all, all, all we get is Alice kind of waking up, screaming her name, screaming his name. And I have to think that, again, going back to kind of like there's a supernatural aspect of this. I feel like there is something of like, with the eventual fate of Bill, that kind of like Alice picked up on. Um, you know, there I don't feel like there are, without that, that there would be much reason for her to just like, think something bad happened or that he's gone i mean she quickly remembers oh yeah he's at the generator but why why scream out his name like that she obviously was having some type of dream where something negative was happening so you know it's just a thought it's just a theory i kind of have uh you know as i was listening to it at, at work uh this morning and you know i i uh and I'd never really kind of caught on these little moments before and just like think that there's a little bit to it. But oh, that's just me. I could be wrong. Films open up to different interpretations. Um, we'll get more into the, the kind of psycho um, parallels this has here in a little bit when we get more to the climax. But um, yeah, you know, not much going on here. Alice just trying to make some coffee, you know. Probably make some coffee for Bill, too. It's getting late. Trying to stay up to see when Steve will arrive. And um, 
maybe if the other guys will show up and they've just been kind of worrying all along and there's been no need for it. But I don't think everything's all right there in, uh, in Crystal Lake. And I'm pretty sure Alice is feeling as well. She's obviously very anxious. Adrian King does such a great job with her mannerisms and her body language. Like, all right, something's not right. I need to go out and start searching for Bill. Like, he's been at the generator. Shouldn't take that long. Let's, let's find out what's going on. And this is the one particular thing that I remember sticking in my mind as a kid watching this for the first time while my sister was asleep. Was Alice trying to find Bill. And as she... <coughs> excuse me. As she goes to close the door, Bill is pinned up to the door with three arrows. Just blood everywhere, throat slashed, arrow in his eye, arrow in his neck, arrow in his abdomen. Oh my gosh, that, that stuck with me forever as a kid. And, um, and you know, everything's accentuated by that theme that Manfredini came up with. I mean, it just really, really is perfect score to kind of match with, with this uh, movie. But obviously now... Having seen Bill's dead body, we've gotten our red herring out of the way. Um, but Alice is obviously very certain that things are not all right. And, um, you know, she doesn't know where everyone else is at. She's going to try to, you know, secure herself in, in the cabin. Um, she doesn't know if anyone else has, has met the same fate. But she can only assume that things that the others are dead. I mean, there's just no way you can't come to that type of assumption. And and she's trying to be smart. Like she's she's tied that door handle uh, so that you know even though she's got locked, it's going to be hard to get in through that door. She's closed the curtains. I mean, that doesn't do a whole lot, but. She's tried to close the curtains to kind of hide the fact that she's there. She's taking wood to help try to jam the door. Um, I mean, she's she's doing everything she can to try to protect herself. So, like, again, when I say these characters aren't idiots, she, as, as she now is aware of all the stuff that's kind of going on, and uh, whereas, you know, at the point when there's when there's only one left, there's only one person that can be more proactive with trying to defend themselves and she even tries to go over the top by like just constantly stacking stuff up against the door even in a haphazard way that it doesn't really even do anything <coughs> excuse me and she even grabs the baseball bat to try to have us for protection now of course I one thing I think she's doing that's not smart is if she's in a dark cabin and she's trying to hide where she's at from a killer, why would you kind of advertise where you're at by carrying a lantern around? Now, I know you need to see, but you know there's a killer around. Bill's dead. Why, why kind of advertise where you're trying to hide or where you're trying to secure yourself? by taking a light in a dark room and hiding there. Doesn't do well for you. And bam. And now we've seen poor Brenda's fate. Now... We still don't actually know how Brenda was murdered. Like, yes, <coughs> she's covered in rope. And she's got blood on her face. But 
It doesn't appear that like her throat was cut or anything like that. Um, so it's always been a mystery to me. I, I would like to kind of know what had happened in that final scene with her. Um, and again, she was such a nice character, such a nice person. Like She wasn't a person that kind of deserved this fate. And so it's kind of like a predator, you know, a predator thing where the, in the predator, you have Billy, who's this kind of BA character who, you know, expect to do some damage. And, and well, as he goes out there to kind of face on the predator all by himself, you off screen, off uh, camera, you hear him scream and then he's dead. Like you don't know how that fight happened or anything. So, someone else has shown up. She thinks it's Steve. But, nope, lo and behold, it's someone else. We don't know who this is. Of course, she introduces herself. It's Mrs. Voorhees, Pamela Voorhees. Friend of the Christie's. Uh, you know, a nice older lady just showing up like, and, and listening to this rambling girl and trying to do the nice thing, like, well, I'm sure everything's all right. Like, I used to work here, you know, just, I, I, you're, you're kind of hectic right now. You're, you're, you're not making much sense. I don't know who you're talking about. Like, it's all right. It's all right. Like, I'll, I'll take care of things. Like, very disarming uh, presence and, you know, someone who's not concerned, like, okay, this girl's rattled there's something going on i'm not too worried um you know i'm sure that there's not anyone that's that's been killed or anything like that but i'm i'm gonna help you out like i'll, I'll take a look I'll, I'll help you and then of course you know coming across poor brenda and you know betsy palmer is just fantastic as miss Voorhees. You know, she has this very disarming presence and just, like, she's just, she's fantastic. And, of course, you know, she's talking about the history of the camp. But there, but there's something now that's kind of changed about her demeanor. And there we get introduced into the whole Jason mythos. And now we know definitely something's not right here. And just look at that creepy way she strokes Alice's hair. It's just like, you know, it's, it's almost as if she's seen Jason on her. And so this is kind of where I see a parallel to Psycho. It's just in in uh, the reverse. Whereas Psycho, you have Norman Bates who kills for his mother. You have a mother who is here for her son. And this is, again, the mystery aspect, the whodunit part. This is the twist. We had her red herring and Bill... And now we are being revealed to the actual killer. And that awesome makeup effect that, or makeup prosthetic that Tom Savini came up with for Jason's look. Now, if you notice in, in her, I think it's, yes, it's her left hand. You know, I mentioned the ring earlier in, in, the, in the beginning. She's wearing the ring. It's a great attention to detail. It's great foresight. Like, that could have easily been a goof. Now, poor Annie. Although, why... You know, Mrs. Voorhees would be riding around in the Jeep with Annie's, uh, you know, body. Other than the fact, like, she wouldn't want anyone finding it. And then, of course, poor, poor Steve. Poor, poor Steve. 
But I just love that attention to detail, that, that ring, you know, it's, it's the same ring on the hand as it moved the branch while they were all out in the, out, uh, in the lake. And that, and that's again, like why I, th- I think she was watching. And of course this, the kill her mommy, kill her mommy is very much like Norman doing his mother's voice. Um, but yeah, when, when she's watching them from, from the woods out there in the lake, Ned pulls the kind of fake drowning scene it, it 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 makes me wonder like had he not done that and kind of potentially triggered her uh, into reliving that trauma maybe she would have just done some things like caused some fires or caused some little accidents or mishaps uh, maybe even just caused a, a counselor to just get hurt that the rest of these the rest of the kids would have just been able to go on and live their lives but Ned pulling that trick and her kind of reliving that trauma, um, maybe, maybe that's what caused her to go on the whole murder rampage. Now, granted, she kills Annie for no good reason, so I can't say that that's exactly her rationale behind it. But you know, it's just food for thought. I find it really interesting and fascinating, but. Uh, yeah, poor Alice. She finds a gun, but she has no no shells to be able to load it. And that's where that whole k-k-k-k-ma-ma-ma stuff that Manfredini came up with was just... Like, that's the subconscious, that's what she hears in her head, and that's what she believes that she wants, you know, that her son wants her to do this, to, to avenge his, his wrongful death. And, and you know, Betsy Palmer just really kind of pours herself into this performance. And I, I can't say I've seen her in any other movies. I've never seen another movie that she's been in. But <coughs> she definitely had made a lasting impact on me, on me for since I saw this movie as a kid. Um, and it's just really great. The, I, I believe she was still alive when they did that Crystal Lake Memories uh, documentary. And she was really great when she would talk about that. And in fact, like I know that... Uh, when they did the remake for Friday the 13th, like both her and Adrian King kind of wanted to have cameos in it. And like, they was just like, even if we're just walking across the screen, uh, screen and I'm pushing her in her wheelchair, you know, just to have something, I thought that would have been so cool. That would have been such a nice nod to them. Um, and unfortunately we didn't get that, but we still have this movie, you know. Heck, this movie's 39 years old now. It's amazing. I know uh, immediately after I uh, was kind of fell in love with horror after watching this movie, um, I was in grade school, and I think his name was Mike. Um, Can't remember his last name, but he and I were kind of in this running gun battle with who had watched all of the Friday the 13th. Like, uh, so I would go, uh, eventually, like I would go to our network video our little local video store and I'd just rent the next, like next one or next two, whatever I could rent in the series and then uh, watch those and then like report back to him and he'd report back to me. And then, so once I burned through, the, fr- the whole Friday the 13th series, I think, I can't remember if I had made it to Jason Goes to Hell. Because um, I think at that time, Jason X hadn't come out yet. But then, like, I immediately, after I, I burned through that, I moved straight on to the Nightmare on Elm Streets and burned through that franchise. And they're my, my two favorite horror franchises, really. Um... You know, here you got Alice again, just trying to hide. Of course, she's, you know, nowhere to go in there. She's in the pantry. 
you're kind of just stuck. It's, it's, it's now when the character kind of starts making stupid decisions, but not it's not really her fault for making that choice. She was just trying to find the nearest place she could get to to where she could hide and not realizing that this was like the pantry. Or a closet, rather, because it looks like it's a supply closet. And thinks she's safe, but of course it's the, the fake out. Got that door handle knob turning. And all you're armed with is toilet paper. Great, great use of, uh, great defensive items. Although she does have the iron pan. Or skillet. Of course you almost expect a here's Johnny moment there. And the classic machete as it becomes iconic to the franchise. Well, seems like things might might actually be good here. You know, she's knocked her out, at least. Doesn't know exactly what she's going to do. She's down by the docks. And as far as she knows, that blow killed killed her. I mean, why else would you know? Why else would you think of anything different? And this is a great shot too, just having the scene set through the lake a little bit. You get that just all from the reflection of the lake, and just even have the 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 state of mind to grab the paddle as a defensive object. Yeah, I mean, this this little bit of a wrestle kind of on the beach between the two women doesn't really kind of hold up today, but I mean, it's still it's still fairly believable. I they do a wonderful job, but it it does kind of look a little bit weak now. And that would just have to hurt. Get I mean, just getting your head kind of smashed into even though it's sand on a beach a little bit, it's still kind of hard dirt. But this is also another great moment in horror history. It's just kind of that slow down again of the frame, the swing, and there goes the head. And of course, as you know, uh, now it's Tom Savini's hands, I believe. Because uh, if you can look, if you look really close, you can see their hairy knuckles and hairy, uh, hairy backs of hands. Uh, as they set up that shot, but still very well done. Looks great today. I mean, it's very practical effect. And I mean, that's, you think about 1980, well, this would have been filmed probably in 1979 and released in 1980. Um, you know, you think about the stuff we have today and even how practical effects today are even far more convincing than than the practical effects in the 80s but this still holds up like I, i'm just so impressed with how this holds up uh, as a as a film and i love this too again like manfredini's score this is nice calm end of the movie relaxing music um the killer's dead she's gone out into the middle of the lake so even if somehow Pamela Voorhees was still alive, she would, she'd have a hard time kind of getting out to her. The cops are here. It's tranquil. 
and again, like the, the the scenery, it's beautiful scenery. To imagine that something this awful would happen in such a serenic and and beautiful place is just mind blowing. And I mean, just even this shot out on here on the lake, the reflection of of the trees in the background, and just kind of that has that mirror effect. It's just fantastic. And here's Alice. Help has arrived. She's going to be okay. We've got the great music playing in the background. She's got the smile coming across her face. Kind of a little bit in shock. And then, bam! We have Jason dragging her into the water. And that's such a great, great uh, kind of catch you off guard scene. Like, you know, modern, you know, in, in today, modern cinema, modern horror, jump scares are like too natural or too frequent. Uh, I know that's a, a, a huge complaint with people nowadays, but that's one of the best jump scares, I think, of, of all time, in my opinion. Because um, it's you, everything they do in that shot, in that scene, to disarm you. You've got the calming music. You've got the cops are there. The killer's dead. Alice is happy. And then, bam, out of nowhere, you have Jason jumping out of the water, all gucked up, mucked up and everything. And drags her in into the water. Of course, she wakes up. She's in the hospital. And you have the police explaining uh, to her that, you know, your friends, they've all been killed. They thought she was dead. They had to pull her out of the water. And she goes, well, what, what about him? What about Jason? And they didn't find anybody, obviously. I mean, there's no one that could have been there. So what's, what's really interesting here is with the whole uh, pulling her under the water. You know, we, we're given the impression after she wakes up in the bed that that's a dream, but, but to her that actually happened. And that's kind of up to debate. I, I think the, the director and even Tom Savini said, oh yeah, it's a dream, but I still like to think that it actually happened too. I think it was far enough that the cops couldn't quite see it. Um, they might have just seen that they... they the canoe just kind of overturned and that's it as far as I could as far as I could tell that's just what happened and again there's there'd be an inconsistency with later films but that's just I, I like to think that it actually did happen um and then of course we get the beautiful ending shot here of just kind of the lake and then there's a slight little kind of ripple effect um but and you get that nice kind of nice music playing out, uh, and then rolling credits. And Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Kevin Bacon, Janine Taylor, Robbie Morgan, Harry Crosby. So yes, Bing Crosby's son, I believe. Um, so yes, uh, you know it's just kind of funny to think about Bing Crosby and then his son being in this. Just amazing. Well, guys, as the credits are, are rolling here, um, there's not much else I gotta say about this. It's probably one of my all-time favorite horror films. It's the film that got me into horror genre. Now, like, I... You know, would read Goosebumps and I'd watch Are You Afraid of the Dark, but that was like kitty horror, wasn't real serious horror. Um, this, I can't exactly remember the the exact age I was when I saw this. I know my sister was home, and I think she was home from college or home, you know, during summer break or some such. I like, I want to say I was like ten or eleven, and. Um, she said it was a mystery movie. I like mysteries. And then we watched it. And I know it's like, I'm pretty sure it was the uh, the scene with um, 
bill pinned to the door that I like I was really freaking out and I was like Beth Beth and then like I looked over because I was on the floor and she was in her bed and she's just asleep and I'm like oh man and I, I didn't wake her up and I just watched the rest of the movie and to this day she will deny that she ever showed me that movie and I just go back to the point like I think it was like maybe a year or two later like I never watched had watched the movie again during that entire time and it was on uh cable and my brother and I are watching it and I'm going this is how this person dies this is how this person dies this is how this person dies and oh by the way this is who the killer is and so I go I couldn't have known that had I not seen it previously and it wasn't like I was at that point prior to having watched it really expand expanding out to watching horror I remember like even coming across the 1990s remake of Night of the Living Dead and being absolutely like terrified that I couldn't even keep it on that channel like it was on sci-fi and it was the scene where like she uh, Barbara's looking out the um the door and it's it's at night at that point and there's like nothing there but I'm just like oh my god oh my god oh my god I had to change it like I couldn't I couldn't watch it I was freaking out and now you know I I love I I'm just a huge connoisseur I love horror it's my favorite genre I I find a lot of inventiveness and creativeness and yeah there's a lot of flops out there but uh, you know, there's even just really like low budget horror films that I enjoy because of the risks that they take with it. The, the, just the fact that these people got together and made the movie that they wanted to make without even major backing or financing. And this thing, I mean, this didn't have a huge financial backing in of itself, but the fact that then it just, it blew up at the box office and it's had this huge cultural impact whether for the good or for the bad, um, I mean, it, it definitely has staying power. And I think we're due time for, for a new one. I would love one. And I wish that this legal battle stuff would get kind of straightened out because I, I, I would like a new iteration. I, I would have loved a sequel to the, the remake because the remake is one of the better remakes of a horror film, especially a beloved horror film, than I could ever ask for. The, the way that it, it kind of combines the first four movies of the franchise into one coherent movie is, is amazing. And, and they did it with reverence. Like, they changed things, certainly, but I thought they did such a wonderful job with it. Um, so I, I think we would love a new iteration of it, just as, like, I like a new iteration of Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't hate that remake that much, either. It's not nearly as good as the original, or, or even just the original series, but these are characters, these are horror icons that I think like we could get, if we could get, much like we got the, the Halloween um, 2018, I think that's right, yeah, 2018, the most recent Halloween movie, I'll just leave it at that, um, you know, if we could get some somebody to approach the franchise or the series with that type of reverence uh, that we got from David Gordon Green. Um, I think that would be amazing. I think horror fans would be very happy and be thrilled. And I think it would be make big at the box office. But that's just my personal opinion. Um, to give it a rating, it's going to be a little bit of a, a biased rating, um, mainly because it's just a movie that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I've, I've watched it countless times. I've watched the entire franchise countless times. Um, that I can't, I, I'm probably missing a lot of flaws, a lot of issues, a lot of inconsistencies, but I'm sorry, I, I can't help it on this one. I'm going to have to go with a four out of five on it. I mean, it's it's not perfect, but I think it's it's such an establishment horror film that like the the like i said the rules that that jamie Car- kennedy's character comes up with with and scream uh are because of movies like this because of movies like halloween because of movies like nightmare on elm street um you know these are foundational horror films uh 
this is definitely one of the granddaddies. The big granddaddy goes to pretty much Halloween and Psycho. Um, but this is definitely up there. Like, this is what kind of started the horror craze of the 80s. You had the different holiday-themed ones, like My Bloody Valentine, um, um, April Fool's Day. Uh, oh, God, why am I missing some of these? Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, prom Night, you know... Granted, Halloween, like, Halloween was, like, two years before this, I believe. Uh, or at least a couple years before this. I know that much. Um, it certainly played its impact as well. But I think, like, with with Halloween and then you... Or with Halloween and then you get Friday the 13th and then you get Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you, you start getting all these very innovative and, and cheap-to-make horror films that then end up like actually creating a big return people enjoy them people love them uh people invest in the franchise and and then they get these iconic characters and i think these are these iconic characters are very much the modern version of the universal horror monsters you know um and I just feel like we don't quite have that right now in current generation, in current year. We don't have this kind of new wave of horror, iconic horror characters. Like, we have a few, like, you know, uh, Jigsaw and um, the, the Collector. Um, but I think, we, I think we could use kind of, like, we're getting into it a little bit again with Michael Myers. But I like kind of a new generation version of, of Jason and Freddy. So... Maybe we'll get it, maybe we won't, but uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in uh, on this special episode. I don't think that there will be a an episode on Monday um, because of this, but heck, you're getting technically a big, massive episode for this, so you know, you're not really losing out on that, I don't think, but uh, I, I appreciate everyone tuning in. I, I know I said it at the, the front of the first uh, part of this, but... I'm going to go ahead and say it again if you haven't already tuned out. But if you could go over and subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and a review. Uh, and also, let me know if, if you liked this, uh, if you want me to kind of keep this up. I think if I'm going to do this uh, in the future on more specific type of movies, I'm going to uh, actually... Um, probably make those more premium content episodes where they're they're uh, pay if you want to listen but um i don't know if this is something that you guys would like uh, i thought it would be kind of fun way to celebrate the friday the 13th and uh yeah i think i think that's going to do it i appreciate it and i will talk to you guys soon